if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, starting with um, verse 14. So Ephesians 3, verses 14, we're going to read through 19. Uh, this scripture I was studying for um, last week, or well, the last two or three weeks, for the See You at the Pole rally. And, uh, and as I studied it, you know, I, I was focused on one part of it, but, but another part of it really stood out to me. And, you know, especially with prayer. And so that's, that's where we're landing tonight. So Ephesians 3, starting with verse 14, says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. God, my Father, I pray, Lord, that tonight that you would uh, move upon the service, Father, that you would uh, speak this truth into our hearts, Father, that you would sanctify us by it. God, that you would, um, God, show us what it, what it means, Lord, um, to be loved by you, Father, uh, to understand your love in a deeper way than we ever have. Father, I, I pray, Lord, for that. I know that that can only come supernaturally. It can only come through, through your spirit. But, Father, I believe it can come. And I, I believe you can show us that. That is our prayer tonight, Father. We love you and we thank you. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so uh, I want to start out with a quote from John Owen. And it says this, For the word of God is, is not received by, um, if it's not received by faith, it flits about in the top of the brain. But when it takes root, uh, it is in the depths of the heart. And so, and so really what I want to talk about tonight is how do we get that head knowledge from the head to the heart? How does it become part of us? You know, this that we, that we really uh, strive for, you know, as we're reading our word, as we're, you know, attending church, we're listening to sermons. How do we move that truth into our heart? There were two examples that I read about as I was studying this topic. One was from a famous philosopher, but a Christian, Pascal. And when he passed away, they found, they found this insert in his jacket uh, in which it, it wrote this. This was written inside of it, inside of his jacket. It says this, in the year 1654, Monday, the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until a, until a half an hour after midnight, fire in all caps, he wrote. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. Is what he wrote in the insert of his jacket. D.L. Moody once wrote this in one of his journals. He said, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Uh, Tim Timothy Keller says of that quote, 
about Moody. He says, for a moment he lived as the person he actually was. For a moment he lived as the person he actually was. I feel like um, too seldom that's my personal experience. Too seldom. That, you know, the, the, the knowledge that I know, it, that it seeps down to the core of my being. You know, and, and, and that, you, that you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. That it becomes part of you. That the love expressed, the love that you, that you understand in the head, that, that at times it can, it, can, it can flow out from your being because it has seeped down into your heart. That, it can, uh, that you can outwardly express that which, which you know, which you've read, which you've studied. And, and so, so is, this what, is this what Paul's speaking of um, in, in, the, in the scripture that we just looked at? I think yes and no. And, and the reason why I say yes and no is because, you know, uh, we don't want to be rooted too much in one experience. But, but I, know, I, know, I know Brian and I talk a lot about this, you know, that, that we'll, we'll be searching for that, that moment. You know, that, that moment of feeling God, feeling close to him and, and knowing him personally. And it seems like it's, it seems like too, too often we go too long without experiencing it again but it's when you do taste it when you taste it and you know that it's god it's like that can carry you through the deepest darkest times because you know you've experienced that you know you've uh that you've known god personally and and so tonight i want to talk about this truth like when engaged with our heart how it should affect us in every way not, not, just a, not just a moment or a passing moment, but it should affect our life, this truth, when it's engaged with our heart. Uh, we're, we're so often, I feel like myself, I'll talk, talk about myself. I'm so often, I feel like the church a Laodicea. And, and that's scary to even say. But I feel lukewarm at times. I feel that way. I feel like I can't get out of a rut. And you know what, what uh, God says in his word in Revelations 3 about the church of Laodicea is he, is he says it, kind of says it back to him. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So he tells this very rich community. So they're rich in the aspect of they got a lot of stuff, right? They got a lot of material stuff. Um, but they're, but I, they're actually poor. What God, God says, God says, you're poor spiritually. You think you have a lot, but you don't. And because of that, because you look at this world like you've got it all figured out and that you need nothing, you actually are in need of the most. You're, you're actually you're actually the poorest. You're not the richest. OK, you're poor. And that I will spew you out of my mouth. But then he says something different in, uh, about the church in Smyrna. A chapter before uh, about the church in Smyrna in Revelations 2 8 through 11 he says this to the angel of the church in Smyrna write this the words of the first and the last who died and came to life I know your tribulation and your poverty so he's like I know what you've been through I know this all these things that you've been through this tribulation this upon you and I know about your poverty you're that you're poor that you're without but then he says, you're rich. 
but you are rich. And it says, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Some more, more tribulation coming. Persecution. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Is the promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so something completely different, right? You see two churches, but, but here you've got one that is by worldly possessions rich, but yet by spiritual possessions poor. And you've got the other one by worldly possessions poor, but yet God tells them they are rich. And I feel like that that is the dichotomy of the world at this point, right? Right now is that there are so many people that that see themselves as well off, and they are in desperate need. And so many times, those that have the most joy are those that have nothing that the world covets, but that they have a relationship with God, the one thing that will last past this life. And so, and so here, what does it mean when I say, now here's the thing, church, if we're really the church, we're rich. But what I really want to bring out tonight is, what does it mean to be rich, but to live like you're poor? What does that mean? What does it mean for the, for the man who has a, a ton of money in his bank account, okay, but he doesn't even know how much is in it? Now turn that around spiritually. What does that mean for, for the person who is spiritually rich, but he doesn't even realize how rich he is spiritually? He doesn't even understand the relationship that he has. He doesn't even understand the grace that he's been given. The love that has been showered upon him is what I really want to focus on tonight. And so, so if you're if being rich but living poor, how does that affect you? Because I really want to get to the opposite, you know, to, to see how being rich and knowing you're rich spiritually, how that should look. But we first got to look at this because how is it affecting us? Are we, are we rich spiritually, right? You, you in this seat, but you're living poor spiritually. Because I'm going to tell you, here's what I think it does. I believe if you're rich spiritually, but, but you're living poor, sin becomes even more tempting. Because think about it. If I have within me the Holy Spirit, if I have this relationship with Christ, if I have th that He is the prize and He is grander than any temptation that the devil, the enemy can put in front of me, that why? Why would it be easy to fall? If I see Christ as more valuable than sin, why is it that I fall so easily? Am I spiritually poor? Or am I living that way? That I'm, that I'm forgetting what He has bought? Look, look, 
if you are living that way, you know what sermons become? Sometimes you can kill a sermon before you even sit in the seat. I believe I can say that because I'm, I'm there more often than I'm up here. Right? And I've sat there in, in pews most of my life. Sometimes you can kill a sermon before you even sit down to listen to it. Right? Sometimes it doesn't matter how good it is. It's the listener who kills it. Isn't it? And so we didn't prepare our hearts and our minds for it. We didn't come in with this hunger for his word. Or we said, you know what? God is about to speak through a man to me. He's about to speak. Let me listen. Let me prepare my heart. Sermons can become boring and monotonous. Because even though we're rich spiritually, we can act like we're poor spiritually. Praise and worship can become, it can become stale and repetitive. When it's not to our liking, when it's more about, my, when, it, when I'm sitting there as the listener and the sermon's not how I wanted it to be. And the music's not how I wanted it to be. That, that it can become stale, it can become repetitious, it can become monotonous. Yet it is, it is in whose presence that we walk through the door, the king. It is, it is our ears that are supposed to be listening. It is our voices that are supposed to be raised. Whose fault is it? The musician, the singer, the preacher, or the listener? We can all be held accountable, can't we? We can all be held accountable. Fellowship and service when you are rich but living spiritually poor. Fellowship and service become a chore and they become burdensome. Rather than fellowship with my brothers and sisters. Be like seeing that long lost family member for the first time in years. You know, greeting Greeting each other, knowing that we have a common bond, knowing that we're family eternally. It can become a chore and burdensome. It can become burdensome doing mission work. It can become that that which we're called to do, that which that is is such a it should be right. It should be an honor. It should be an honor. To take on mission, work, and service. Reading becomes informational and intellectual at best, doesn't it? When you pick up your word, it can become just about, okay, let me see how much I can learn and know. And those are good things. But that's what I said at best, it can become those things. But it can also become tedious and time-consuming. Relationships and even ministry can become self-centered. And when we are rich, but we live poor, listen to this church, forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, we will spare it instead of give it away. That's what happens. So what does it mean to be rich? I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What does it mean to be spiritually rich? This is about the churches at Macedonia. And in 2 Corinthians 8, I want, you to, I want you to see what Paul writes about these churches in Macedonia. 
2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging. Can we please help? We don't have it to give. We're going to give more than we can. Can we please help? In our affliction, what makes a heart do that? What makes a heart turn to want to give even past your means? What, what does that to a person? It says this in verse 5, And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. They first gave themselves to the Lord. That's what happened. How were they able to? How were they able to get their hearts in tune to the will of God? They gave themselves first to Him. And soon, and soon the turn of the heart followed. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Man. Genuine love. And then look at verse 9. Please. Like I'm talking about with your heart and soul. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Did y'all catch it? How are we rich? How do we remind ourselves how rich we are? He was rich. He became poor for us so that we might become rich. Our heart goes from one of, of a callous, hard heart to one that is softened by the grace and love and mercy of God to one that can then give grace, that wants to do His will, that desires to do His will. is how we see the love of God. How do we see it? The love that was given. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Match it, church. Your desire and that which you, you do it, complete the task. And it, and it may be that you don't always desire it. It may be times that you struggle through it. That you have to rely on what you know. 
but that we're to complete it. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, listen to this, your abundance at the present time should, supp should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. Do you catch it? Church, that as, as we give and they receive, they give us something back that, that we need. That we both need. That. We need to give as much as they need to give back. As, as much as I need to give it, I need them to accept it. That's what we need. We have to work together in this. We have to. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. What do they need? Well, at the time, they need money. They need, they need supplies. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. He is the master of it all. There, there's a song. There is a song that, that I love to sing, and there is a, a part in it that I've always thought about this, this part. I mean, it always catches me, but I thought about it a little bit different today. It's, it says this, never, I'll never know how much the cost until I see my sin upon the cross. You know, and, and, I, and for a long time, I've thought about that verse. You know, I'm never, I'll never know how much it costs because, you know, I wasn't able to, to, you know, really experience it. You know, to, to see him and the agony that he went through. You know, we weren't there and, 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 and we're not God. So we don't, we don't know what it is to give up what he gave up. And we're not Jesus. And we don't know what it, what it is to have taken the wrath of God like he took for us. And how much he loves us. Like we really won't know that, will we, here? But then I got to thinking about it a little bit differently today. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pray that I know that. And I may never know it here fully. I may never know it fully, but I want to know it more than I know it right now. Because here's the truth of the matter is that if what Paul is saying and praying in Ephesians 3 is correct, is that he's praying that these in prison, he's praying that these that these people would know the love of Christ in that way, would know the breadth, the love of his mercy and grace, would know his love. That they would know it, the fullness of God. That they would come to know it. And I, and I was thinking today, I was like, God, show me that. Show me how much you love me. Show me how much it cost. Because this is what I believe. I believe that if you know more and more, the more that you know how much it cost, the, the more that you understand the grace that he showered, the mercy that he, that he showered, the more that you understand the love that he's given, the more that you understand that cost, the more that your heart will be turned to desire to do his will the more that you will be able to love, greater love, the more that you'll be like Him, the more that you understand it. It's, it's why the woman, uh, this, the sinner, the woman who came in and washed His feet with her hair, it's why He could say to her, your sins are forgiven. It's why He gave that parable where He talked about you know, the two debtors and He said, which one loved 
the one who forgave him more. The one who owed more. Right? The one who understood. He wasn't really saying that the one, he, I, don't, I don't believe he's saying the one with more sin. I believe we're all sinners, right? We all fall short. I believe the context of that parable is this. The one who understands how much of a sinner he is and needs God. The one who understands how much he needs God. The one who understands how much God loves them. How much God gave up for them. And so that, that is what I believe that, that we need to be praying, not just for ourselves, but Paul prays it for the church. It's how much I need to be as a minister praying it for you. And how much you need to be as a member praying it for me and each other. That's what we need to be praying. You know, even more so, even more, so I heard Francis Chan put it this way, even more so than, than God, please heal their foot. Or God, even, even heal this person of a pornography addiction or, or this person of, of cancer or this person of alcohol addiction. Even more so than that, God, stir them and give them the love of Christ inside their heart. Because that is the answer to all those other problems. That is the answer that goes past those problems in the eternity. Is if they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. That is the answer that they need. Show them how much. Show that, that person that's addicted to pain pills. That Show that person that is hooked on whatever. Whatever their sin is, no matter how big or how grand it is, show that person that's on death row. Show them how much you love them. Show them how much grace you can give them. Show them how much of a sinner they are in need of your grace. That's the prayer we need to pray. That is the answer to all their problems. Because let's be honest. I mean, we want to pray that cancer away, yeah? Don't we? We do. But in the end, whether that cancer takes them or not, something's going to take them. Isn't it? What is the prayer of the church? What is the prayer of the saints? What should it be? That should be it before all others. Before all other things. It should be that. What will we do? What will our prayer be? You know, it's, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Because I mean, you think about this, that, that here, think about these Jews and the way, they, the way that they see the Spirit of God. Think about the way they see the Spirit of God. And, and that in Ezekiel 36, God has promised them that I'm going to put that in you. He says, I'm going to take this heart of stone out and I'm going to put this heart of flesh in. And then in Ezekiel 37, what do we see? We see dead bones in a valley and God breathes the Spirit of God into them. Right? And so you got you to think when, you know, here, and the reason why I'm going to this is because that is what we're asking for, right, church? In Ephesians 3, if you go back to our text, and this is, <clears throat> this is where I'm closing. Y'all look at this, please. If you look back at your text, and he's praying this, according to the riches of his glory. See, there's our riches. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. His spirit, where? In your inner being. Now you've got to think about how the Jews saw the spirit. I mean, no way he's going to put that in a human being. Because, I mean, if you touch the ark, you die. You can't go in the holiest of holies. Only the high priest could. And he had to go through all these rituals. 
And they even thought there was a good chance that when he went in, he would just drop dead. That's how they saw the Spirit of God. And now you're telling me that you're going to put the Spirit of God inside of me? Inside of a person? It seems so far-fetched. But it says that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend that you can understand what with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. How is it that we can love? How is it we can give grace? How is it that we can give mercy? The Spirit of God dwells in you. We have got to stop making excuses. We have got to quit acting like we're spiritually poor if the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. You are spiritually rich. You are spiritually rich. Quit acting like we're poor. The Holy Spirit has come into your heart uh, that, that you'll never go back and you'll never be the same again. He says He will put His Spirit inside of us and take out that heart of stone so that we will begin to desire that we'll want to give back, that we'll want to um, follow His commands because, because we love Him, because we've been shown how much, how much that we are loved.